Hello, this is Oak Mountain, and you are listening to Life Changes Channel. I think we can all agree that in our world, we're becoming so disconnected from each other and and we know it, but we're struggling to figure out why and how we can change that. Well, my guest today is a fascinating philosopher, facilitator, and a best-selling author. Oak Mountain has written a book called What in the Word? Uncovering the Art of Speech and the Power of Language. It's quite an interesting conversation that we have where we just kind of dig into the power of the words that we use and some tips on how to become better connected, how we can be more conscious in the way that we use them. It's really quite interesting. Now, as we think about what can happen when we are disconnected, it leads to breakdowns in relationships of all kinds. And that's a lot of what the content is in these podcasts that I share with you and the guests that I bring, we are disconnected. Our relationships are suffering. So tune in now. Let's meet Oak. Let's learn more about what he's discovered around words. Welcome, Oak. This is going to be a fun conversation, I I can tell already, because your expertise is in communication. And what is so phenomenal for my audience is the value that you can bring to helping them manage conversations and find, you know, polish those skills, learn some new skills, because the stuff that they're dealing with in whatever life change they're going through, if it's even if it involves divorce or not, there's tricky, difficult conversations that can lead to conflict. So I really appreciate you being here to share your expertise and some insights into how we can do that better. Welcome. Please tell us more about yourself. Thank you so much. It's very exciting to be here. I appreciate the opportunity to share and explore with you. Um, As mentioned at the outset of the video, my name is Oak Mountain. I am a best-selling author, communication coach, and mentor located on Vancouver Island. I have uh, combined degrees in the study of philosophy and world religions, where I wrote my undergraduate thesis on the philosophy of the mystical experience, particularly the language of the mystical experience. So my focus in The work that I do with my company, The Smiling Human, is helping people elevate their interpersonal communication skills through courses, one-on-one work, and workshops that I host here in the greater Victoria area. So it's an exciting life. I absolutely love the name The Smiling Human for multiple reasons. So a lot of what I speak to people about is that human value, creating those compassionate human connections and how important that is. And as a human, even just not only acknowledging and seeing another human as a human and not just somebody that's in your way or somebody you have to deal with, or, you know, however we encounter humans out there is just pause and smile, even just open that space and help them feel like you've seen them and you're connecting in a positive way. So smiling human just, just really lines up with, um, with the message that I'm trying to get out to people too. So you are a coach and you do help guide people this way. Uh, tell us more about the book that you've written. You're a best-selling author. Yeah, this, uh, for those watching the video the book here, What in the Word? Uncovering the Art of Speech and the Power of Language. It's a labor of love, we might say, that all started when I had a very, sober conversation with myself about the trajectory of my life. I was approaching uh, my 29th birthday and not particularly feeling grounded or satisfied with how life was going for me at the time. And I asked myself in the month leading up to this, if I were to continue to live as I'm living now, would I be satisfied with the way that my life turned out? And the answer was no. So I thought, okay, that's uncomfortable. That is uncomfortable. What what can I do about it? And so I started visioning and imagining from the very end of my life back, what would it feel like to die completely satisfied with my song sung into this world? And from there, I started working my way back and tried to, at least in, to whatever degree I was capable of, 
reverse engineer a process of getting to that place. And the first thing I landed on was writing a book. And so I was at a very interesting juncture in my life at that time as well, not only approaching my birthday, but I had a work contract that was ending, a relationship that was ending, and a lease that was ending all at the same time within a few weeks of one another. And so I packed all of my things and I flew to Mexico and I partook in what I like to call a sacred hermitage, where for 33 days, all I did was write for four hours a day. And within the span of one month, starting on my birthday, I wrote this book and it was all guided by the intention of service. What is it that I know and believe to be the most valuable about communication? What are the biggest mistakes and turmoils that I've experienced or seen other people experience that I believe that if I spoke to them and added my own voice to them, that if read, might alleviate some of the suffering and conflict that people have in their own lives. And as a result, this is what we got. What in the word? I love that this started with a conversation with yourself and just Mm -hmm. really looking at what do you want to do with your life? Basically, where so many people find themselves, especially when they are in those major life changes. And you had, you had several happening all at once. And, you know, trying to determine, like, you just feel lost, you feel alone, you feel like you're struggling, what direction should I go? And pause to think, okay, let's work backwards. Now, a lot of people will do that saying, with business goals, with all types of goals that they have but you went right to the end, like end of life. What do I want to be able to look back and see? So it's kind of like having a conversation with your future self. This is where I want to be. This is who I want to be. It might not be really clearly defined unless you experience that differently. I know when I've tried to do that, you, you look ahead and then you've now taken some actions and created some visions to help then create and go like work your way back. What would you say would be the top three things that you would tell people to to start that process, to just even to start that? The first thing that I would offer is something that was offered to me by not personally, but something that I picked up from a man that I admire quite deeply. And that's Dr. Jordan Peterson. And he says, you can sit down and have a conversation with yourself again, and ask yourself this question, what's one thing that I would change and that I could change about my life and my actions? And in doing so, an answer will come necessarily. I like to say that when any question is posed into the universe, it creates a vacuum for information to flow in. And so even when we feel confused or we feel lost or without a clear direction, those questions, they, they evoke answers from the deeper parts of ourselves. And if you're living and moving on a trajectory that feels incongruent with your values, that's because you're acting and choosing incongruent with your values. Now, that may be because you don't know your values. It may be because you're scared to take action on them. But regardless in order to make a first step towards reorientation and even having the hope of creating a meaningful vision, you have to understand what you're doing now, both in thought, speech, and action that is impeding that meaningful and value-filled action from flowing forth. Now, Oak, would you say that a lot of people get caught up, and I was guilty of this and still am in some areas, we're worried about what other people will think. And that has kept us stuck, maybe misaligned, or, or stuck currently in what we're doing. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I don't want to give the impression that worrying about what other people think is a bad or futile thing. It depends on who we're worried about and to what degree we allow their conception of us to change our behavior. So what I mean by this is, you know, you obviously have close family members, you've got friends who care a great deal about you, who have been influential in your career. If they come to you and say, Dina, 
we kind of think you're going off track here. Like you might be a bit, you know, too big for your britches, so to say. <laughs> those kinds of reflections are the most important. And those are the ones we ought to take to heart if they're coming from people that we can trust to be truthful and acting in our highest interest. Right. Now, conversely, if we move out into the world and we're interacting with people who don't know us, are motivated by their own self-interest, or just don't have the wisdom or wherewithal to offer us of something of value, those are the ones we can go, mm, maybe I'll use my own internal compass, which needs to be cultivated. That's a whole other area of investigation. But I'll rely more on my own internal compass than this perception of others. One thing I would add to this is to say, the reason why it's important that we do care about what others think is twofold. One, we're social creatures. If we are disregarding the perceptions of other people about our behavior, then we're necessarily discounting the value of their experience, their humanness to a degree. And if you take that to the very extreme, you end up with sociopathy and, and psychopathy and things like this, antisocial tendencies. Now, to the other end, if we overemphasize what other people think is the governing factor for our actions and behaviors, we become people pleasers and we're spineless and we're never actually integral to our own values. So to, so to say that in order to maintain balance when attempting to take meaningful action towards our own self-development, connection to your own inner voice is paramount because it's the conversation or the balance and the checks and balances between the external voices of maybe criticism, maybe affirmation, maybe reflection, and this own voice, maybe critical, maybe affirmative, who knows, but clarifying the relationship between those two can help to balance whether or not we're leaning more towards people pleasing or completely dismissing, if that makes sense. Yeah, that does. So tuning into our own voice. So first, just really pausing to determine where we are presently. Do we feel aligned or do we just feel lost or are, are there things that light us up? Those types of things to find, you know, that's present. Is that what we're, that's where we're looking in that first step? Yeah, self-development, just like conversation or communication, is predicated on listening. And so that requires a degree of presence, a degree of attention, and a degree of openness to hear, to receive whatever is true. And so we might go, well, what exactly does it mean for something to be true? Well, if we are going to get really simple, I don't want to get too philosophical here, but if you and I are having a conversation, as we are, there's a reasonable degree of certainty that that which is true is what is experienced by you and by me and our shared experience, right? Literally what I'm saying, literally what you're hearing, different facets of the visual and sense experience, right? We can ground ourselves in that truth. And so, okay, let's apply that to the inner world. If I'm closing my eyes and I'm asking myself, what am I doing that maybe makes me feel weak or what, what could I change that I would change given the opportunity and something comes up. What is true about that is not necessarily the content of the thought because maybe it is self-critical. Maybe it's, it's laden with judgment or shame. What is true is that the thought is there and that's what's important. This is what's here. So there's a degree of validity because it is arising. We can then look at the, the contents of what's being said. This is like, we can translate this into a conversation or a conflict, right? Between partners or between, you know, um, employee, employer, anyone that's having a conflict conversation. When either party brings something forward that is strongly emotionally charged, we might say something like, you never listen to me. You're always going off and undermining my work and da, 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 right? And I feel pissed. It's like, okay. The truth is, they feel pissed, yep. <laughs> right? The content that is being put out can be evaluated for other aspects of truth, 
But the most important and relevant piece is starting inside, right? As soon as they start to externalize, that's when we can do the evaluations. And so sifting through and finding that which has the most weight for truth value can help one reorient both in their relationship to themselves and in conversations with other people. Can I hear the truth of your experience beyond the stories? Mm -hmm. Can I really listen and feel, wow, she's actually feeling really mad or she's feeling scared or lonely or happy or exuberant or whatever, regardless of if you're saying things that I don't believe to be true. And it's the same thing when we're listening to ourselves. I can relate to that because there's such a difference in my conversations. My partner's very calm and I can come in. It's very rare, but there will be something that has triggered a reaction in me, partly from conditioning of many years of abuse prior to this partnership. And when he's calm and not as, and not reacting to my, and I, I really am more conscious but when you say always and those types of things, those are, that's a clue usually that the person's just like reacting because it's all encompassing. It's saying it happens all the time. So I will be emotional in my reaction and he's calm. And then it gives me that space to go, wait a minute. No, I'm not really being fair. You don't always do that. In fact, you rarely do that. But you, but when you said this today, it triggered me. And then it just takes that conflict. It doesn't, there's potential for it. Doesn't happen. And so he's able to see underneath and beyond this reaction to something and just give me that time and space to sort out really what was it that that hurt and it probably didn't really have anything to do with how he usually acts just something he happened to say or do and so I think that's what maybe an example of what you're trying to say is that if we can get underneath and find what's the truth what was it that's actually what's the pain point here and that works with our own conversation with ourselves then right so you're saying like start there start internally what do we do next then Oak? what would you say once we've kind of had that revelation of what is inside when we pause to listen to ourselves then then what do we do develop the skills to clearly articulate that to other people in a way that maximizes the likelihood of being understood and having your needs met. Easier said than done, right? Let Especially me be the, the first moment. to say that, yeah. <laughs> right? For sure. If we're if we're feeling a 10 out of 10 frustration, it's like, oh, pardon me while I pause to uh, <laughs> use my developed and well-articulated Lex. It's like, no, it's like, you're an asshole. That's what's happening yep. now. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so you go, okay, well, how, how might we do this? And you, sort of hinted at it and, and drove us, you, you touched on one of the points that helps in that development stage. And that's listening to and reflecting on the quality of language that comes up from our inner experiences. So whether or not we're having a conversation with ourselves or we're actively having a conversation that might be conflict laden with somebody else, when you're, like you're mentioning, your partner's just listening and like, okay, I'm, I'm taking it in. I'm listening. And you're like, Oh, I can hear myself. And I'm saying the things and they're not true. That moment, that's the revelation moment. Cause now you can go, okay, I understand that there is a language of pain for me. And my pain language is, you know, you never, you always, you're this, you're that, whatever they are specific to you. Those are your signposts. And the first things that I would invite anyone who works with me or is looking to do this kind of work to look to refine. And what, do, what exactly do I mean by refining? Well, if we think about any sort of raw material, in this case, it's language, we're going to take it from the, the grossest form, the roughest form, and then distill it down into the most valuable. And that is going to be the most true, the most accountable, and the most authentic form of expression. When we use these declarative infinitives, you always, mm -hmm. you never, they can't be true because nothing is always one way or never another. It just doesn't happen this way unless we're talking about sort of universal laws. And the closer then, okay, so sometimes you do this and it makes me angry. Okay, well, we can even look at that sentence and take it one step further. Does it make you angry 
or do you feel angry when it happens? Well, that seems like a pedantic difference, but it's in the languaging that we find the governing structures of our thoughts that will either either lead us towards connection, reconnection and intimacy, or away and into resentment. Mm -hmm. And it's something as simple as when you do this, I feel instead of you made me, Mm -hmm. right? Because the you made is like 100%. And with blame comes wrongness, comes badness, and grief and resentment, right? And these are emotional burdens that bog up the channels between people. And it's okay to feel them. It's okay to be angry and resentful and frustrated. Like we don't want to shame or close away any authentic emotion that arises. What we do want to encourage and what I encourage through this process of learning to language accountably is taking ownership of your experience through powerful expression. And powerful, more be more conscious of what you're saying. So like you say, we've refi- we refine it down and say, what really do I want to communicate? Is my intent to just, I feel hurt, so I'm just going to hurt back. I'm going to lash back and say something that's, you always do this and you make me feel this way. So now they're to blame. You're trying to get a reaction. You don't want to get a, want them to react. At least that's how I am. I feel much safer that he doesn't react in that way, that he stays calm. But yeah, we want to refine that down. And I liked what you said about whether it's an internal conversation or external with some with someone else. Because internally, how often do we say, oh, I can never get that right. Or I just... I'm, I always mess up or we, we, we say those things with that rough language to ourselves as well. So to, to go, wait a minute though, do I, <laughs> and just give ourselves grace for the way we speak to ourselves. I, I often like to remind people that the, the only person you're going to spend every single moment of your entire life with is yourself. So why, why would you be a bully to yourself for that? Why not make your best friend that person that you're going to be with so that convert I, I really like that that's where you want us to start because if we're mean to ourselves well that pain is going to spill out on other people absolutely and i would add one additional piece to the point you just raised around getting clear on what it is we want to say oak has some incredible insights that we're going to get right back to some really great tips, some things for us to consider when we are having conversations either with ourselves or with others. But if you're feeling disconnected, if you're feeling alone and you're struggling through a divorce, a separation, some type of a major life change in your life, just know you are not alone. Did you know that every two weeks we have free online divorce resource groups, support groups where you can come and talk to our experts, meet them meet others who are going through similar things that you're going through just for sure you're going to know you aren't alone and hopefully we can answer some of your questions or direct you to the resources that can help support you through whatever it is you're going through all of those are listed on our events page and the link is in our show notes you're also going to be able to get a hold of oak follow up with him get his book book a a session with him and just learn more about the work that he does. And again, those links will also be in the show notes. There's lots of resources on our website if you've never checked it out. There's all the podcasts are listed there. There's a blog, there's our team, people you can reach out to, really tons of information there for you. So be sure and check it out. Now let's get back to our conversation with Oak and learn more about what he has to suggest. Another thing that might be unclear for a lot of people who are struggling with these types of communication habits is why why am i speaking right now and that sometimes might feel like a weird question like well i want to be heard or i have something to say and there's there's sort of like an obvious maybe knee-jerk reaction but if we're looking at the what to say okay i'm saying you never do this well why am i saying it Really, not just what might my emotional mind reason, but what is the actual driving force for me to have this conversation, to have this expression? 
Is it that I genuinely at the very core of my being want to hurt this person? Probably not, right? It's more likely that the pain that is driving that less than artful expression is indicative of an unmet need and that the methods by which anyone has learned to meet their needs were maladaptive insofar as they are shouting, manipulative, name-calling, shutting down, all the things that we see inside of communication that fails. So the why is actually I'm trying to serve myself. I'm trying to meet my own needs or I'm trying to get you to meet my needs in this moment. And the farther away that the actual words are that are spoken from the why, the more difficult it will be to cross that threshold. So as an example, if I say, okay, I'm feeling, maybe I'm feeling insecure. I'm feeling a little bit um, under affectioned, right? And I just need some love today because of whatever has happened. If I can enter into a conversation with my partner and say, hey, I'm feeling vulnerable and insecure and I would really love some affection and attention right now. Is that something you're available for in this moment? Can we share some cuddles? The likelihood that that's going to happen a hundred times more if I yeah. try to drop hints or if I'm subtle and then 20 minutes later I go, God, you don't even like me. Really, like, what are you doing? I, I can't even get your attention. You won't pay attention to me. You won't put your phone down. And then there's all of this criticism that comes out. The criticism is still trying to get this, this need met of, of belonging and love and tenderness. But the pathway to get there is halfway through a bog with no boots. We're, we're just doing it in, in an ineffective way that we have learned and picked up from our parental relationships. So closing that gap is the second piece, the understanding of the what, the why, and the skills being the how. Right. And you inevitably push them away further and and perpetuate this feeling of being alone. And you're going to be even more alone for probably guaranteed for another few hours or days because of that approach. And there you are in the middle of the bog with no boots. Mm -hmm. That's not a place to be. No, it's not a place that anybody <laughs> wants to be in. And one of the things that that a lot of people come to me and try to learn is, is this element of expression. And remarkably, and yet I would say unsurprisingly, the greater their capacity for authentic self-expression develops, the better they are at receiving other people's unrefined expressions. Because as we walk the path from the bog to the highway, and clearing all of those shrubs and all these other things, these bad habits, these coping mechanisms, the blame, the projection, all these things, we start to recognize in ourselves, not only the what of those bad habits, but the our authentic pain that has kept them around. And what does this do? Well, you might have this experience in your own life, and the listeners might be able to relate to this, but it's easier for us to relate to pain in others that is familiar to us, True. right? Okay, well, my dog died this summer, then some, one of my friend's dog dies, and I'm like, I know what that feels like. I'm here with you. And there's an instant, if not instant, openness and empathy and compassion that flows forward because it is closer to our own truth. It's closer to self. And so as we walk that path, when we encounter other people doing that, we're like, I was there too. I understand. What might I have needed in that moment? How can I now apply and serve others and invite them into greater authenticity and accountability now that I've walked this path myself? So we end up all bringing each other up the mountain by developing these skills, I believe. Ooh, that's really good. Now... I want to go back a ways and unpack something that you that we started with, but I want to come back to where we are now stuck in the bog and how we can, when we've done that to ourselves and, and to those around us that we've been attempting to communicate with, how we can get out of those conflict spots. But I want to go back to how we engineer when we connect with our 
end of life, what do we want to be able to look back and see the path we've taken, the impact we've made, the gifts that we've offered, how we've served? How do we engineer now? How do we engineer that back? How would you suggest? So we start by talking to where, find out where we are right now, have those conversations, and then figure out, well, why am I in this spot? And then is it what do I want to do? Where where do we go from there to start that process? Sure. Allow me to answer with an analogy. Perfect. For this, and <laughs> it'll make sense as we go. Yeah. So if I asked you what's two plus seven, you could pretty easily give me an answer, right? I think it's nine. Right. If I said to you, then what is uh, 31,421 multiplied by 718? A really big number. Right. We don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's because when things are, are simple, we can do them in our own heads. But as they become more complex, our mental faculties, at least mine, there are some very uh, savvy math whizzes out there, but most of our capacities are limited as complexity increases. So why might we move forward in this world with the assumption that all of the variables that total our life could be somehow calculated inside of our own mind? It's just not possible. It's one of the most complex math problems that we ever encounter. So just like you might pick up a pen and paper to start doing that long form multiplication that I just gave you, so too is writing out a vision for yourself, a story for yourself, one of the most empowering and emboldening ways to clarify that vision. Because as soon as we start to articulate, not just through speech, but also literate, if we say, and write it out, all of the other elements that might be complicated or emotionally laden or all these different pieces to us will start to flow. They will start to move. And it's in that movement that they pass through the lens of our focus. Why is this important? When it passes through the lens of focus, it comes closer. Let me rephrase that. When it passes through the lens of our focus, it enters into the domain of our own will. If we can see it, and it's of our own mind, of our own emotions, of our own actions, we can do something about it. But when it's lodged down into hopes and memories and childhood traumas, it's it's knotted up in so much emotionality and so much of our survival neurophysiology that accessing the clarity necessary for meaningful action is all that more difficult. So we can unravel through writing. We can clarify through writing. We can discover and come into contact with what some may call intuition through writing because we open up the channels of our authenticity and creativity simultaneously and direct them towards what is arguably the most meaningful goal, which is living a fulfilled life. That's amazing. And then the actions start to make themselves visible. You start to understand, oh, this is an action I could take towards it. Also that you can adjust that. Like you said, it's a very complicated calculation but that we can be open to, okay, this is where I am now. This is the goal I would like to reach. How can I unravel the emotion from it and then use the creativity and those inspirations to now determine some actions. And once you start exploring that, maybe it will go another direction, but at least you are moving forward and you are evolving towards that end goal. Would you say that that is kind of a summary. Yeah, absolutely. And I would add too that the emotions themselves are something that are meaningfully informative. That it's not simply that we unravel them and then go, oh, thank God that shame is gone and fear is gone. They're actually very dense pieces of emotion, or sorry, information rather. The emotion is dense pieces of information that can be self-revelatory. Ah. And so, yes, we can take and go, okay, you know, what am I doing that's maybe stupid and ignorant and taking me down the wrong path and informed by um, a wrong conception? But also, 
how am I feeling? And what does this tell me about my actions or my relationships or my values, right? They don't need to be the governing force, but they are a an invaluable companion on the journey along oh, the I way. I like that. I like that. Yes. Thank and, you, you know, for clarifying. Sometimes, yeah, you're welcome. Sometimes I see, and this is actually a difference I see between men and women, is that a lot of times men will undervalue the information that's available in emotions and, and women will overvalue it. And I, obviously that's my own bias and it's just an average that I've seen, but there's detriments to both. The dismissal of that information precludes one from self-knowledge and the overemphasis can lead to, we might say, complete submersion where you don't see the forest through the trees. Mm -hmm. So there's a delicate balance there as well. And our instincts really play into that. It's something that we, I think, tend to ignore or have chosen to downplay, but they are speaking. And I think our emotions, our instincts, like they, they're kind of integral in some ways because that is a reaction. That is, that's something that is, it, it's not necessarily clear in, in a word form that we can, it's a feeling it's something it feels vague unless you really learn to tune into it. And I think that's uh, very important. You are maybe familiar that's... with Gavin De Becker's work, the gift of fear. And you know, no, that it's, it's quite a fascinating read. And he, the gift of fear, he's talking about instincts, not always in a, in a danger or a fear way, but that we have really become, Oh, probably conditioned. You know, people might laugh at me if I say, oh, that looks suspicious or I feel uncomfortable or I'm being, you know, oh, you're being paranoid if it's in that way. But I like to also think of our instincts as curiosity and I'd like to try that. And people are like, mm, are you sure? But that we follow something that draws us and pulls us. And and I think what you're saying, too, is what what is drawing you to that path, that life path and to listen to that and and take action towards it. Absolutely. I used to say inside of the uh, workshops that I was teaching while living in Mexico, that fear is our greatest ally. And it's often misrepresented. Because if without fear, there's no capacity to survive or make important decisions regarding our own enduring life. And the one thing that's happened and happens quite frequently is that there's a hijacking of that fear that through trauma or conditioning or what have you, that we start to have this fear response to things that are actually not threatening, not genuinely life-threatening. They're emotionally threatening. They might signal or remind us or be connected to that threatening. But all of that, at least from my perspective, is languageable, if not already languaged. And so when you're speaking to the, the vagueness of the emotional realm, clarifying that space is a part of both the first step of that inner listening and the second step of articulation because it's necessarily more of you that is becoming so to say higher definition and the higher the definition picture you have of yourself you have a higher definition understanding of your motivations, your desires, your fears, your needs. All of these things will not only help you down this path of, of life authorship that we're speaking to, but also help you in those moments of conflict with other people. Because now your motivations aren't some mysterious force at the back of your gray matter animating your body without any control, but they're known to you as parts of you because they've passed through that filter of focus and are now in the realm and the domain of your will. Ooh, I love that Oak. And the thing that I could see as being a very powerful tool that you've already shared with us is writing and how that helps us put it into words and clarify and really get in touch with what we're feeling instead of it just being vague. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Now mm -hmm. I'm going to, uh, go back to the conflict. So we're, we're now in the middle of the bog. We've, we're, we've said things that we know 
was really rough and really out there and, and not authentic. How do we manage to resolve conflicts that whether we've created them or we found ourselves in them, what are some communication skills that, that you would suggest we practice? It is practice. Totally. Yeah, it is absolutely a practice. I might separate the answers into two parts. One answer being for when we're in the middle of a conversation that's already derailed and the other for how to mitigate the likelihood of ending up in a conflict conversation because there's a bit of a different avenue there. Now, as for the first one, one of the things that I I think I'm harping on over and over again is clarity in speech. And just like you mirrored it really powerfully earlier, earlier, Dina is saying, okay, wait a minute. I'm not being fair, right? That's not necessarily the specific thing that needs to be said, but if you are inside of a conflict and you realize that your own communication has departed from your ideal has now entered in the realm of perhaps violent language or blaming or things like that. Yes, it's going to feel scary to acknowledge that, but that is what needs to take place. There needs to be accountability in order for anyone else involved in this conversation to be able to downregulate, right? Because when nothing, not nothing, there are a few things more frustrating than trying to engage with someone who won't take responsibility for what they're doing or saying, right? And so we are, as I mentioned earlier, social creatures by nature, and we can necessarily invite others into actions by taking them ourselves. And so if you stop to say, okay, I am obviously angry and yelling, and I'm not speaking to you kindly, and I I don't like that, great. There's accountability. The second step, which is very difficult when you're in, in the muck, is to be able to identify what you need in order to bring yourself back into a state of regulation in order to have a meaningful conversation. But now if we're imagining that shouting and everything's happening, it's likely that you can't do that inside the conversation. And so one thing I recommend is being able to just take a step back, move into a space where you are able to either generate for yourself or find in your environment the space to regulate long enough to have that look at yourself. What is it that I actually need? Why am I saying the things that I'm saying? What am I actually feeling? Because instead of just allowing the the sort of spray and pray style of conflict, saying whatever comes out of the mind, if I can get right down to the root of it, not only is the conversation likely to be shorter, but it's likely to be more productive. So accountability, space, and reapproaching with I statements. And I'll use this I statement as the bridge here between the first section of when we're in conflict and the second section about uh, mitigating or or resolving, maybe, I don't want to say avoiding, but lowering the likelihood of um, fights taking place. So the I statement There's a lot of nuance with the I statements and there's so many little holes that people can fall into and I find myself falling into them as well. So easy distinction. If your sentence starts with I, that's an I statement. I think, I feel, I believe, I need, I want. I think, I feel, I believe, I need, I want. Great, right? If we're starting with you, This, even if it's a compliment, can be be capable of introducing a dynamic that can destabilize, right? Because it is, and we'll get to that later, it is a form of manipulation, positive or negative. So starting with I statements, think, need, believe, feel, want. From here, I recommend if you need to approach someone about a topic that is likely to cause conflict that we start in three parts. The first part being the fears that you have about having this conversation. So I could come to you and say, Dina, I need to talk to you about something. I'm afraid that when I tell you that you're going to start yelling 
that you're going to think less of me, that you won't want to be my friend anymore, and and that you're going to think I'm an awful, beastly human. And I'm just really afraid of that. And you'd be like, whoa, okay. Second step is the hopes. I hope that you will listen kindly, that you will allow me to speak without interrupting. I hope that you'll still want to be my friend afterwards. And I hope that you'll forgive me for any hurt that I've caused to you through my actions or through sharing this. So right now, we have just cracked ourselves wide open, accountably and vulnerably, to say, here's what I'm afraid of. Here's what I'm aiming towards, making our intentions clear with this hope. And then you can say, I broke your favorite vase. I was playing baseball in the house. I'm sorry, right? Whatever it is, you can offer that forward. And this framework, I call it the hard talk formula. It's actually something that's available um, as one of my online courses, a step-by-step formula for uh, making life's hardest conversations easier is that when we do this, we can also invite the other person into that same framework. So say, hey, you know, what do you, before I even tell you, what are you afraid of about me saying this? Say, well, I'm afraid it's going to be something horrible. And then it's that, you know, that you've killed one of my family members or God knows what it is. You know, people's fears go all off the map. I really hope that, that I can be calm enough to listen to you. Okay. The structure itself mitigates against chaos that can come from that maybe less than skillful environment that arises internally when the emotions take over. So having a structure to fall back on is crucial. And it feels like you're appealing to their higher self. You're you're appealing to them in that way by being vulnerable and saying, you know, I hope that you can allow this. I fear that, you know, this could happen. And it, it's like it creates that cushion of compassion in that person because you are, are being, you're offering, offering in a vulnerable way, what your fears and hopes are. And then that creates that structure. As much as it can appear to be an appeal to their higher self, I think that it's also, it could be formulated as an invitation from yours to theirs. Ah, yes. Right. Because when you're, connected to your fears, capable of articulating them, courageous enough to offer them into the space, you know, sensitive enough to understand your hopes and motivations, and again, courageous enough to offer that to somebody else, you're embodying a higher, if we want to say this, a more mature, more grounded, more conscientious version of yourself as the leading edge of potential conflict. And we are social beings i'll say it again and we have neurology like mirror neurons if you're familiar with these they're parts of our brain that literally cannot distinguish between self and other so when we witness someone doing something part of our brain thinks it's us imagine how powerful that is if someone is leading with compassion vulnerability and authenticity versus leading with ah finger pointing and blame well what comes on well maybe i'll do the same Monkey see, monkey do, right? There's a part of us that is compelled to do that. So we maximize the likelihood of resolution. We maximize the likelihood of our needs being met, of being heard, and of for other people also being heard and us understanding them by being able to start with that structure. That's beautiful. That's amazing. Now, where can people find you, your book, your courses? How can they connect with you, Oak? Because... uh, there's so much more that you have to offer and that you've built for people to help them articulate, to improve their communication skills and, you know, even manage these difficult conversations. Yeah, you bet. I'm available on the internet. The smilinghuman.com is my website. If you go to the smilinghuman.com slash free, you can book in for a free one-on-one session if you're struggling with the types of problems that we discussed here today. You can find me on Instagram at The Smiling Human. The link in my bio has links to the American and the Canadian Amazon store for my book. My courses are also available through that link tree as well. And if you're curious, you just want to send me an email, you could do so at the Smiling Humans with an S at gmail.com. Okay, cool. 
And we'll have all those links in the show notes. So don't panic if you didn't have a pen and paper, you're out driving <laughs> we'll, uh, or listening in the shower, which apparently a lot of people do, then uh, you can just click on those hyperlinks. Thank you so much, Oak, for spending time with us today. It's very encouraging to hear how we can work towards engineering a life that we can be very satisfied and proud of and also how we can rise above our uh, primal communication uh, habits to to really decrease the the damage that we do to ourselves and and those around us by uh, having conflicting conflicting interactions so thank you very much for for that encouragement for being with us is there any parting thought that you would like to leave with the audience Absolutely. I'd love to share a quote, if I may. Please do. It's the quote from chapter one of my book. It's not my quote. It's, again, by Dr. Jordan Peterson. But this is something that I think sums up the total of our conversation today. Courageous and truthful words will render your reality simple, well-defined, and habitable. Yes. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much. Hopefully you heard something today that helps you wherever you might be in life. Do you have questions or a suggestion for a topic you want to know more about? Let me know. Check the show notes for all the contact information. Follow this podcast and find us on social. Know anyone who might find this information helpful? Be a friend and share it. And hey, Thank you for hanging out with me today. Keep smiling that beautiful smile. The world needs your sunshine. It means a lot that you spend this time with us and meet our experts and professionals who can help you through whatever life changes you're facing. Please refer to our terms of service available on our website, lifechangesmag.com. The link is in the show notes. Our disclaimer, Divorce Magazine Canada, Life Changes Magazine, and channel and divorce resource groups are intended to educate and provide quality, credible resource information. The contents should not be used as factual until consultation with the appropriate professionals for any guidance. Divorce Magazine Canada, Life Changes Magazine, and Life Changes Channel, as well as the divorce resource groups, do not constitute endorsements for, nor liability for any claims made in the presenting of this information.